And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 20, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? Doing great. Happy to be here as always. Excited that we're going to get a chance to talk to Coach Lansing today and see what he has to say. Some insight on the Sycamores and uh, breaking down the schedule. You know, my nerddom has finally reached its peak and uh, I'm ready to go. How about yourself? Doing well. Uh, as you said, looking forward to the interview with Coach Lansing. Um, I've also was pretty intrigued to see your Excel sheet with all the schedules for the Missouri Valley on it. It's very neat. It's in pristine condition. All the colors are on there, and it looks like you uh, had a lot of time put into it. Maybe you did it while, you know, drinking a beverage. Oh, no, no. You got to have all senses at high alert here because there's so many times they'll be putting it together. And I'm like, wait, I put that in the wrong spot or, you know, something else. And they, you know, so I, I do it, you know, the way that you're looking at right now, but then there's one that's just strictly based on dates when they have the games. And that's an easier look too. That's when I can look at it and go like, where could I take a road trip and catch this game on Saturday and that game on Sunday? I think there are actually like two opportunities for that this year, if people are allowed in. Yeah. You know, that's going to be up for discussion. I've heard uh, Missouri State's planning on letting like in the neighborhood of 6,000 fans in at their place, which is a sizable arena. And um, Indiana State, I haven't heard yet. Maybe we can ask Coach Lansing about that if we have the opportunity. So it's funny you say that. Um, now, at larger schools and uh, in professional sports, tickets per, ticket prices will probably be a little bit higher. Now, for like the Missouri Valley, Ohio Valley, any mid-major that you know allows a certain number of fans, do you think they jack up the price just to try and get as much money as possible, or do you think they're just going to do the normal uh, ticket pricing and then whoever buys the first six thousand, that's that's who gets it? Gosh, I don't know. I think you probably just go. I would hope they would just go the normal pricing, you know, and then x x amount set aside for students as well, because I don't want those guys to lose out on that opportunity well, sure. either. You know, so how do you go about it? Do you go family first and then go with? boosters and seniority on the season ticket list and you know how do you go from there so it may probably be easier to find a yourself at attending a midweek game on a wednesday yeah. as opposed to you know those saturday sunday games but there are a number of people you know it feels like not just at mvc schools but colleges as a whole like those season ticket holders are older alumni i think you know uh you know not to say that fans are old but that just seems to be the season ticket yeah you know are they taking into account the the risks as well you know so who That's... knows how many people are are uh uncomfortable with the risk you know i have friends that still haven't been to a restaurant since march you know one buddy we talked about going to a beer garden it's outside and he's like nope still not not comfortable with it so everybody's comfort level is quite a bit different well, and so that that's my point, kind of, you know, if, if they're going to allow, you know, 6,000 fans, okay, if let's say 4,000 of them or maybe like an older generation who typically go, okay, let's say they don't go. Now, now basically you're only going to have 2,000 there if you're going along with that uh-huh. metaphor. Um, but does that mean you need to up the price to try and get as much money as possible from that other 2,000? You know, because... Obviously, the the college basketball programs at the mid-major level aren't going to get the same amount of money coming back from those buy games as they have in years past. So obviously, right. the the money's going to be decreased from years past. Yeah, but how much do you decrease the demand when you raise the price? You know, it's one of those it's economics true. things. Maybe had a good high school teacher that taught you that someday. <laughs> you know, as as price increases, demand decreases. Yeah. Yeah, if only I had a had a teacher that taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, during today's episode or this week's episode, uh, we'll break down the Missouri Valley conference schedule, and then, uh, as TJ said earlier, uh, Coach Lansing will join the show. He's the head coach at Indiana State. Uh, so first things first, TJ, we'll get into the Missouri Valley conference schedule as you've been, you know, working so so hard on you know the past uh weeks yeah i think the first thing that stood out to me was that loyola and northern iowa are going to play each other the last game of the season so they always have everybody that's that last day february 27th 
uh, is where it falls on the calendar this year, and that's not a typical matchup. I know like there's some that are repeats from last year, like Missouri State and Southern Illinois. They played each other last year for last game of the season, and I think that makes sense. It kind of gives us that opportunity. You know, you're looking at the supposed to be, you know, in a lot of people's opinion, the two best teams in the league. Are they going to decide the one and two seed? You know, with a week to go, you know, kind of gives you something to look forward to there. <clears throat> Overall, I think with the the Valley's schedule, the Missouri Valley schedule, it's a little bit vanilla just because everybody plays everybody twice. There's not any, you know, uh, which probably happens in the Ohio Valley. Like, well, so and so isn't playing this team, who's one of the better teams, and 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 we are. You know, where's that going to make a big difference? Because sure. kind of that unbalanced schedule. The one thing I uh, criticism I'd have, you know, it's, it's not something I'm going to, you know. Uh, hill I'm willing to die on. But for example, Northern Iowa and Bradley play each other January 3rd and January 20th. So they're already done playing each other before Northern Iowa and Loyola ever play each other. You know, so, and then looking at Loyola's schedule, I think it's it's Missouri State. They play them twice in 12 days. Yeah, it's, those are bunched together. You know, and you think about, I think what comes to mind for me is that last year, for example, Elijah Childs from <clears throat> Bradley was hurt well, you know, in this scenario, he's hurt for both games against Northern Iowa. Yeah, well, that's, that's a that's those a are two. Decision. Those are yeah. two. That's a big change. And then if you know he gets to play Loyola, February thirteenth, Bradley does. Well, that's you know, that's almost a month after their last matchup with Northern Iowa. So they had to they had to play against them. Where you know, in that scenario, Northern Iowa didn't. You know, so I, I kind of wish in a perfect world you. Played everybody five times, or played your first five games. Excuse me, nine games. I don't know what I'm thinking. You played your first nine games against different opponents, and then and then you backtrack. Yeah. yeah, you know. And then if you happen to play somebody back to back, which isn't ideal, but you know maybe that happens. But at least you got through the whole schedule before you played somebody a second time. I like that too, and for the most part, the Ohio Valley's done a good job with that in years past. Um, now there was. There were a couple seasons where they had it broken up into those two divisions, and you'd you'd play the one division twice, and then the other the other teams once. And there wasn't really a time where you would end up playing this. You know, let's say Semo had to play Eastern. It wasn't very often that they're playing a team in that you know the West Division twice before they played. You know, basically everybody once. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's very that's good scheduling because. As you said, it, it doesn't make a you know a whole whole lot of sense to have to play, a, you know you know as you said Northern Iowa and Bradley, two of the premier teams right now in the Missouri Valley, to both of them play like at the beginning of conference play, you know if you're missing your best player, well losing both games to you know one of those teams could make all the difference in right. seeding. Right. You know you may not be able to make up that ground with games back. Yeah, but then you wonder what kind of other things come into play. You know, uh, like Bradley, for example, plays in the uh, Peoria Civic Center. How much trouble do they have getting preferential times, you know, dates? Like, sure. What, what's what's the play there? Whereas you have other schools, you know, most of them have on-site facilities. Evansville's isn't on-site, you know, the, the Ford Center. But, you know, so that has to come into play, too. How, how much access do they have? And there are other things that they do there. I mean, I remember... Back in my day, that you know, they still had at Southern Illinois. They did concerts and things like that. Yeah. How do they accommodate for those? How far in advance? But for the most part, you know, it's going to be like a Wednesday, Thursday, then a Saturday or Sunday in the MVC. Not like the OVC where everybody plays on the same day. Yeah, Thursday, Thursdays and Saturdays, unless you have a game on like ESPNU or something. Right. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that they have going for them in the OVC is that the women are going to play at the same time. So there's, you know another day that you're not worried about, you know, cross scheduling. Sure. And I know the women in the Missouri Valley play on a different day altogether for the most part, but there's still, it's still another variable thrown in there. It's another hoop to jump through. Well, I, you know, you look at the, basically the standings from last year in the Missouri Valley, and that's what kind of gets me excited for this year. You know, I didn't watch the Missouri Valley as close as you did, but that's kind of why I'm looking forward to watching it. You know, this year, mm-hmm. you, you see what happened last year. There was only two teams that did, well, three teams that did not have a winning record. And one of those teams was 
Missouri State, and they were just one game below 500. You know, everybody else was at least 500 or better. And when then when you look at the conference play win-loss uh, record, everybody was around that 8-10 and 10 mark or better except for two teams. Right. It, everything was so, so close together. That could really, you know, if that's the case again this year, the the fans and the atmosphere, whether it happens or not, I mean, it could have a lot to say in how, you know, the Missouri Valley finishes up again, you know, because of last year when there was fans, nobody really had a clear edge as there were, you know, basically six teams within one or two games of each other in the standings. Right. You're coming down to it right there at the end, you know, uh, there were so many scenarios playing out for the seating. I know some guys in the, the Missouri Valley side, they, uh, Follow this guy called Hacksaw Graphs, and he puts—I mean—he puts together every possible scenario coming out, and it, it's kind of fun to look at. He's—you think I nerd out on this stuff? That's—that's <laughs> that's a different level of, you know, math that I can understand. I haven't had a math class probably in your lifetime, so you know th- that's you know different different level numbers for me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of math going into it, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm not much of a math guy myself, but hopefully uh, the non-conference schedule will soon get released for the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley because I know basically before the schedule started getting, you know, thrown out and, you know, re-put together, there were some uh, games between the two conferences that, you know, I know I was looking forward to, you know, with I think Murray State had to play a few teams in the Missouri Valley same with Belmont, and then, you know, I remember SEMO had their close games, you know, their rivalry with Carbondale, and I can't remember if Missouri State was on there or not. But when you look at the Missouri Valley schedule right now, um, is there a game that you're really looking forward to? Well, like I said, those two matchups between... Outside of... Outside of... Besides Northern Iowa yeah. and Loyola. I always, I think last year after the, especially the close game that Southern Illinois when Missouri State came there last year, that's a game you kind of look forward to. Still looking forward to seeing what kind of pieces they have there. And at some point, I'd like to see Evansville break this losing streak. I don't, I, you know, you, you feel for the kids, you feel for the program, you feel for the fans. And it's just, it's not good for the league either. I think when people can go like, well, look, they went 0 and 18. So, you know, anywhere that they can break their streak. Obviously, I don't want that to happen against my Salukis. You know, I think that became as big a factor late in the season for teams like, hey, we don't want to be the one that loses to these guys. Sure. And and breaks that down. So, um, you know, and we'll talk to Coach today, but I like the the two sophomores coming back, uh, Jake LaRavia and uh, Trey Williams, that they had really good freshman campaigns. It'll be interesting to see if they can – uh, follow up with that. I think those are two guys to look at. And Tyreek Key, who's been an all-conference caliber player for the last two seasons. At, uh, Indiana State could really do some things, I think. And they have a couple grad transfers, and uh, they're a little short on seniority, but those two grand, grad transfers will definitely help with that. So, I know the the series that I'm really looking forward to, um, they weren't exactly neck and neck in the standings last year, but I'm looking forward to seeing Bradley and Illinois State this year. The war on 74. Just, just because both are campuses so close mm-hmm. together. And I think I think Illinois State will be better than what they were last year. They're you know, they're five and thirteen, ten and twenty one overall. But with Coach uh, you know, Dan Muller's been there a long right. time mm-hmm. and he, he's no you know, he's been around a while in this in this rivalry series. Right. And I think this year, if students don't play a role in it, I think Illinois State could, you know, steal a steal a win in there. Yeah, I think they only had one road win in league play last year, so and that was the Evansville game. So sure. I'm sure they're looking to, to change that direction as well. And like you said, if you're not fighting the home crowd, if it's like playing a scrimmage game, exactly, then uh, you know maybe it'll be a little bit different. So it'll be interesting though to see what the atmosphere is like. So uh, I did see that. Indiana State does have SEMO on their non-conference schedule. I think they posted that. So right, yeah. So I think Indiana State. I don't know. Going off memory here, I think it was Wyoming, Ball State, SLU, and 
SEMO plus an uh, an MTE. And well, and that game's going to be at Indiana State, I would assume. I think so. I think most of those were at Indiana State, except for the Wyoming game. And uh, the oversight committee is saying, you know, you get 25 games, but if you get an MTE, then we'll allow as many as 27. So, you know, see how many teams go to that that max too. Some may not be able to get there this year and just be like, hey, you know, we got to 24 games and we have to be happy with it and try and save everything for the conference play. Yeah, I mean, it, I think most schools will probably try and get into one of them MTEs just mm-hmm. because, you know, your your conference tournament's not going away. I mean, you're still going to be playing in it, and, you know, playing in that MTE will help you play basically multiple games in back-to-back days to try and prepare you for your conference tournament. Yeah. So I did see John Rothstein reported that uh, Kansas State's going to have their own MTE, and they're going to have Colorado Drake and South Dakota State there. And for sure, according to John, is that Kansas State and Colorado are confirmed. So you got to imagine that the other game is Drake and South Dakota State. You know, um, So that'll be an interesting uh, matchup there as well. You know, Again, if you get to play one of those power fives in Kansas State or Colorado, it gives you an opportunity to see where you're at and prove your, prove your worth, so to speak. Well, I know on the Ohio Valley side of things, TJ, I, there was an article in the news gazette about uh eastern illinois and basically the athletic director was talking about the college basketball bubble and this was an article by matt daniels part of the news gazette and i think this was about a week ago and he was basically saying the athletic director for eastern illinois was saying that you know a college basketball bubble may not be feasible for them due to financial standpoint right and when you look at their fin- finance, you know, their financial part of the athletic programs, they, they've they already taken a hit this year. You know, they they were supposed to have, you know, played Kentucky and, you know, in a, in a football game initially scheduled for October 10th. And Kentucky was supposed to pay Eastern 500000 for that game. That's a, that's a good and chunk that's, of money. That's a big chunk of change. And that's supposed to now while most of that may have went to the football side. That's still getting spread throughout the throughout the athletic program, yeah. Exactly. And with that game being canceled, you know, money's money can be tight for some of these low min majors. Right, to pay for a hotel room for X number of days, feeding those kids for X number of days. You know, it's uh I I don't don't remember if we mentioned it last week, but SEMO and SIU are gonna play football against each other here yeah. uh, towards the end of the month of October. And SEMO's plan is to drive over in the morning, play, get back on the bus and go back home, you know, to avoid probably partially cost, but mostly COVID concerns and staying at a hotel and eating out any more than they have to. So, you know, that's that maybe we'll see more of that as these schedules come out as well, too, that those schools are trying to make make it one day trips or yeah. at bare minimum drive, stay the night, play, drive back. Now, obviously, for those in our SEMO, there's they're within, you know, a driving distance. So mm-hmm. They really don't need to stay in the hotel regardless. But as you said, a lot of schools will probably end up doing that. Right. You know, that, that will be their scheduling. You know, they'll probably see a lot more in-state games or games that are on the border of each right. state to where you can, you know, head down for a game, come back, and and maybe instead of doing games on, you know, Thursdays and Saturdays for the OVC, because if, if you do a Thursday and Saturday and you're on the road, you're going to be – Right. You're, you're gone for Thursday night, Friday night for sure. Exactly. So you're going to be in a hotel for multiple days in a row. So they may even try doing it to where it's maybe Wednesday, to where you're not having to be on the road that right. much, come back, or so that's something yeah. that'll. Uh, I'm sure they're probably talking about and trying to get all the logistics uh, figured out from that standpoint. Yeah, and you wonder how long, how late in the game these schedules are going to come out because we're what about seven weeks away now from getting uh, getting. To, to it with Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, I mean, I know there are some assistant coaches for the lower mid-major schools that have say in trying to put together schedules or telling the athletic directors who they would like to get on the schedule. I'd hate to be that assistant coach, and I'd hate to be an athletic director right now. Right. Sounds like a terrible time. Yeah, I think with the athletic director, just the, the budget part of it alone would be a nightmare. Yeah, for sure. But with that, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview when, when we caught up with uh, Coach Lansing, head basketball coach at Indiana State. 
And we're joined by Indiana State head basketball coach Greg Lansing. Coach Lansing, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. So a little background on you since uh, this is the first time we've had you on the show. You had a successful playing career at South Dakota, including a trip to the D2 tournament. You stay on at South Dakota as a grad assistant and then a full-time assistant. What led into that decision to pursue coaching following your playing days? Well, I'm a high school coach's son. Uh, my dad is a long-time uh, He's in the Hall of Fame now, retired. Uh, one of the few father-son combinations in the Hall of Fame in, in Iowa. And uh, just uh, always knew I wanted to be a coach. So stayed on and got my master's there at uh, my alma mater, University of South Dakota. And then uh, I'm one that's not skipped a step. I've, I've hit every step on the way up and uh, fortunate enough to be a head coach. So following your first stint as an assistant coach at Indiana State, you go to Iowa with Steve Alford. Can you describe the difference in coaching and especially recruiting at a Big Ten school compared to a mid-major level school? Well, coaching, you know, Coach Alford, I mean, he, he hit many levels and obviously played for Coach Knight and mm. played, uh, played in high school for his dad. So just a tremendous coaching family. And I think any coaches could you have, you know, that's a huge advantage and uh, being here for with Coach Waltman uh, at Indiana State, I mean, lucky enough to be under guys like a, a Coach Waltman and a Coach Alford, just tremendous basketball coaches, great minds that just work their table off. And you know, the recruiting's a little different. Uh, I think the Missouri Valley is, is as good as it's a mid plus, mid, mid plus major league. And growing up in the Midwest, I was around a lot of the mid major uh, schools in the state and Northern Island and. And uh, Drake right there, so I knew a lot about them. And I've always been a Hawkeye fan, so to be able to uh, live at Green and be on the bench uh, with Coach Alford there at Iowa for seven years, uh, I'll never, never forget that. You know, you, you recruit a little differently um, at our level in the Valley. You better have four, five, six uh, guys that can play at the Power Five level, where you have no chance to win in your league. You know, and I think being at Iowa exposed you to, to be able to get in the door uh, with maybe guys that are definitely going to be Power Five and, and that type of level. But uh, at the mid-major level here at Indiana State, we have to recruit those guys till they tell us no, till they commit to or sign with, with a bigger school. So there, there, there's a little difference. I think it's uh, more of a difference now because of the information society and the AU and just, I mean, kids are tweeting every day about how many offers they have and, and those types of things. But the biggest thing is getting the right right fit for your program, getting the right fit for your programs, and I'm sure uh, they continue to do that at the Power 5 level. You know, they can, they can recruit guys that maybe want to go to pros in a, week, in a year or two. We, we, don't, we, we get guys that are four-year guys, but uh, you're all just uh, trying to teams, get the best players you can and what best fits your program. So sticking with the recruiting idea, Indiana, obviously known for its love of basketball. What challenges does recruiting against the likes of Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, Butler, and so on present for programs like yours? Well, I mean, we know we are, and and we don't recruit against those guys a lot. I think those guys offer and, and get on freshmen and sophomores, and sometimes they'll come in. Uh, juniors and seniors to be and, 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 and take guys that have really developed and done those things so I wouldn't say that say they're our biggest competition uh, because you get off by some of those places and you're probably going to go to those places we've lost uh, guys to, to Purdue Indiana you know um, uh, Butler and, and, and sometimes you know you just you do the best you can uh, make it make it to make them know uh, why you think your place is the best for them and uh, when those guys go to those places I, I wish them luck <laughs> who can argue and go to any of those places great places great coaches uh, terrific support so you know Indiana is one of those states that uh, we, we start local and spread out uh, the, the best we can but uh, everyone comes to Indiana and recruits, recruits Indiana kids so it's so ultra competitive um, it's crazy. You know, we're, we're, 
been fortunate. Well, two, three years long, where we have several Indiana All Stars and great kids out of the state, and we just hope that continues. How are the Holman Center renovations coming along, and what are some of the highlights from your perspective? Well, anytime you put fifty million into a place, you know it's going to be pretty nice. And it, uh, I, lo- I love the Holman Center the way it was. Now, there's a lot of things um, inside that you don't see that that needed improvements and upgrades, and those are all being made. And uh, I come in there every week. I walk down in there and. You know, we had to deal with uh, the construction last year, so, you know, it was a little dusty, uh, maybe a little bit of, of stuff uh, sitting around here and there, but we were 12-1 in there last year, and um, it's getting near completion. It looks great. Uh, it's, it's such a huge plus for our program, and um, it's going to be a, a big-time facility just like it was, and, and you need that in our league. Everybody's got uh, great uh, home-court advantages, and, and uh very knowledgeable uh, home uh, home uh, home uh, uh, fan bases and, and those types of things. So we're excited about uh, the home center and getting back in there. And should be soon enough. I had the opportunity last season, I think, uh, stopped in and saw you guys play uh, Chicago State. It was definitely a different experience. You know, the areas were cut off and you couldn't quite go everywhere. Yeah. And trying yeah. to figure out where you could go in and where you weren't allowed to go. But, I mean, you could definitely see it. If, uh, the, the place felt intimate even with those things going on. So uh, what kind of – how important are those updates, do you think, they are to recruiting as, as kids become more worried about facilities and things like that? And then the university as a whole having a, a facility like that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all about the bells and whistles. You know, you know everybody, everybody – there's so many great coaches and so many great schools and so many great programs that uh, – you got to show these guys some of the bells and whistles of stuff, and and uh, we're certainly doing that with the Holman Center. Um, you know, we've been going through our growing pains, but that's good. You know, that's a that's a positive. You know, we we told our opponents that would be coming in uh, last year that we'd be dealing with it. We had to deal with it every year. I mean, you know, there's open areas where you know you're in there on some days, and 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 it's really cold and. Uh, because they're, they're doing so much work on it, but we, we felt very fortunate uh, to be in the home center throughout our last season. Again, we were twelve and one in their last season, and uh, you just got to deal with it. It's just like right now, you know, you're dealing with with COVID and those things, and you, you tell your players, "Hey, this is what it is. What it is. You know, there's no excuses. Um, we're, we're fortunate the way uh, to be able to do what we're doing, and, and you move forward and, and just uh, take care of your." So this past season, you gave 36 hours of basically unfettered access to Bob Kravitz of The Athletic. It was a fantastic article, very candid article. How did you set aside any reservations about giving a media member such access to your program? Well, I mean, all of our stuff has always been open. You know, I've never not allowed any media, anybody that wants to come watch practice. Uh, We welcome that. I, I love people to come see how hard our guys work and, and get to know our guys, the quality guys that they are. That was different. You know, I, I didn't really know. Uh, I knew who Bob Kravitz was, and I know he's a, a, a tremendous uh, writer and, and, and guy. And he's, he's taken went from the star over to the athletic, and, and somebody just brought it up. Hey, yeah, Kravitz is going to be here for the next couple days. So I... You know, I didn't. I wasn't. It wasn't communicated with me. Uh, like I really knew what 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 was going on, but he got to see firsthand uh, what it was like to, at a mid-major program, a, a very good mid-major program, at a great conference, going through some growing pains, growing through those things. And you know, like I guess you know, the only thing I, I really regret is my language and some of that stuff. My mom <laughs> got to see some of that, but you know, he he spent. It wasn't a show, you know. It wasn't a show. It, it was. Uh, um, I didn't really, again. I didn't really know anything other than he was going to be with us. And uh, some of the things in that article, you know, I uh, maybe wish the, the general public uh, didn't get a read. But uh, there, there's nothing fake here. There's nothing fake about me, our program, what we're doing. I'm proud of Indiana State. I'm proud uh, and honored to be here and uh, having the job that I have at the place I have. 
Last year, your Sycamores went 12-1 and at home, but the most impressive win, in my opinion, was the 68-39 win over Loyola. What was it about the game that led to such a, you know, an outstanding performance? Well, Porter and I are good friends, and there's nobody I respect more uh, or care uh, more about the coaching business than him and uh, Ben Jacobson in our league. Just guys I know and, and think are quality human beings, and shoot, Porter's put it on us a few times, and we've been up there. <laughs> I mean, we've gone up there, and I think he feels bad that they that, that they got us so good. And after that game, the only thing I really thought about too is, you know, I told Porter after he made it to the Final Four, I mean, there's you have a five-year grace period where you can't complain about anything. You know, you've been in the final four, so we, we were uh, clicking on all cylinders that night. wasn't their best night, obviously. They're, they're a, a very good basketball team, still are, and a, and a very well-coached basketball team. But we just played awfully well, and, you know, we showed uh, what we could be at our best, and, and um, that was the team that we had in there that night. So coming into the season, you've lost three seniors from last year's program, Jordan Barnes, Christian Williams, and Bronson Kessinger. How do you replace that leadership with only one returning senior in Tyreek Key? Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I don't think I think any coach would tell you you can't uh, just replace what, what you've lost, especially uh, Jordan Barnes that uh, did so many things for us, a great player here, uh, sprinkled all across the record books and that. And we had... Uh, 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 Christian uh, transferred from Iowa, but dealt with so many injuries, but just had an outstanding uh, senior year when he was healthy. was really good. And Bronson was an Indiana All-Star that uh, had a tragic uh, injury, and we were just fortunate to have him here. You know, he was he was a guy that had a compound fracture and worked like crazy to, to overcome it and was a very good teammate for us and at times was a a very productive player for us when he, when he could do it. And, you know, we had Tyree Keys for the two-time first-team all-week guy. Uh, we took a couple fifth-year transfers that, uh, you know, we weren't really trying to just accumulate talent. We were trying to build a basketball team uh, in our recruiting. So I think what we added uh, with our upperclassmen in our recruiting was great. We started two sophomore, or two freshmen last year. They're going to be sophomores this year. Uh, we've got other, other young guys that uh, played a lot of quality minutes for us. So we love what we have coming back, but we think uh, what we added uh, is really going to give us some great depth. Speaking of Bronson Kessinger, why watch you guys play? I always got excited when I saw him come in the game. I mean, you look at his stats, there isn't a lot to fill the stat page, but it felt like Bronson was the type of player who just did whatever was asked for him. I mean, he knocked down a couple threes, which wasn't really part of his game, but he defended guys. He was making sure people were blocked out. He was on the floor after loose balls and stuff like that. You know, how does how does important is it for a guy like that, especially one of your seniors, to fulfill that role for you? I mean, I just uh, I admire him so much from what from what I from what he went through. Um, guys that have that kind of injury don't come back from it. But he worked so hard with our trainers, lived in the training room, uh, extra uh, strength training, flexibility, rehab, all the things that he did. And, and there were days, you know, it was, it was almost like every other day in practice. He just couldn't give it to you what he wanted to give to you. You know, his mind was there, his heart was there, uh, doing everything he could for us. But he, he just never, he was a tremendous athlete uh, before the accident. He just couldn't do it. But I tell you what, when uh, he gave us everything he can, could as a leader uh, and as a player, and then actually had everything we could out of Bronson in every game. So what role do you see for graduate transfers, Tobias Howard and Randy Miller Jr. coming into this year? I mean, you look at both of them, and you got Howard, who comes over from Townsend, and Randy Miller from North Carolina Central, and they both have started, you know, their fair share of games at the college level, so they do bring in some uh, veteran experience. Yeah, that's what they bring, and I think they bring, we research these guys hard, and we've, you know, we've dabbled in the fifth-year transfers uh, in the past, and maybe... Uh, wasn't quite the type of guy that you need. You know, you're trying to fill gaps in your team. Uh, we lost a lot. You mentioned the guards that we lost. And uh, we have to add something. You know, we have to add something. And 
uh, Tobias and Randy both have played in big time games. They played at good programs. They played in uh, uh, quality uh, games against quality opponents. They've had tremendous experience. We love their IQ and what they bring to it. And they need to know that you know. And then they know when they come in here, they don't have to be great. You know, they don't have to lead us in scoring and and uh, just do wonderful things every day. They just have to be who they are. Be good basketball players on a good basketball team. The transfer portal seems like it's kind of become like free agency in college sports. How does that impact how you recruit players, and what do you do to keep players from seeking a transfer? It feels like, especially in the the valley, that we had three big sophomores that have left the league. And I mean, how does that impact your perspective? Well, it is. You know, at our level, it's just getting harder. You know, it's a little bit the rich get richer, and and uh, guys can guys can leave these places and. Um, the bigger schools can take good players, productive players from from our level, and and, and and fill their roster spots. You know, knock on wood, but we've never lost guys like that. We try to recruit guys uh, that are high character guys, good quality that want to be at Indiana State, that want to be a part of what we're doing here, and we just take great care of them. You know, we we have a great product here, Indiana State University. In our basketball program, we take great care of our uh, uh, student athletes here across the board. And it is a great place to be a student athlete. So guys come here; uh, they want to be a part of something special. They stay here, and and uh, we just haven't had to deal with that a whole lot. And I, I hope that continues. But it, it has a lot to do with the quality of guys our our staff uh, recruits. How can your standout freshman from last year's, you know, Trey Williams and Jake Laravia? build on last year's success. Some believe had it not been for SIU's Marcus Damask's fast start, Laravia may have been, you know, the newcomer of the year. Well, I love Marcus Damask, and he recruited him too, but it's hard when you have Jake Laravia and, and uh, Kobe Barnes. It's hard to, to, to stay in on that recruiting battle because you don't have a... He visited here. We loved him. He's going to be a great player in this league. I just really feel like Jake Laravia was the best freshman, best newcomer in the league last year, and um, he takes it personal. Believe me when I tell you, uh, Jake Laravia is a special talent, and it's not just with what he does uh, basketball-wise. He uh, ultra-competitive. Uh, nobody works any harder. He's 6'9", 230 right now. Uh, he was lifting in there this morning, and his bench went up 30 pounds from last time he got it tested, and he was so hyped about that. Uh, that's just what he brings, and he wants to be great. Wants to be a great player, and and uh, he's got a special future ahead of him. And him and Trey Williams, they're roommates. Uh, I don't think there's ever been better student athletes. Uh, both tremendous kids, uh, basically 4.0 students, work like crazy, and never have to worry uh, anything anywhere about them socially, academically, any of those things. And. Trey, Trey did a lot of great things with this, and both of those guys are only going to continue to get better. And future looks bright with those two guys. You know, we got them for three more years. So, looking at your school website, the schedule you have posted four non-conference games, and looks like you're trying to get three out of the Gulf Coast Showcase if that still goes on. Is the schedule complete, or is it still a work in progress? <laughs> I don't know how many coaches you've talked to, but it's chaos right now. It really is. Uh, I think they're pretty lucky, you know, the guys, uh, Eddie Global, uh, that are doing the Gulf Coast Showcase, uh, maybe a team or two has to get out of there, we really believe, and what they told us, we're confident we're going to get at least, and maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a regular tournament, maybe it's just you go down there and you get three games, but we'll go down there and, and, and get three games, and uh, we got lucky to, to get Purdue to move back from November into December. Uh, we're at St. Louis. We have uh, Wyoming here, um, Ball State here, and uh, Southeast Missouri here. So we we really feel like our schedule's okay. But uh, I don't think anyone is going to know their full schedule exactly until right up to the last minute. So um, we feel confident about it. We'll be okay. You know, we'll be okay. Um, but uh, we feel good about where we're at right now. 
So we had coach A.W. Hamilton on, Eastern Kentucky's head coach, uh, last last week, and kind of, you know, through the scheduling process past him and, you know, just wanted to get your outlook on it too. You know, if you're a mid-major program, are you like leaving some dates that are available with like a tentative backup plan, just seeing how or seeing what like the Power Five conferences do? Because I'm sure you want to try and get like a buy game in there to try and get some money for the program. Well, yeah, and A.W. is a great coach and a good guy. I've known him. I recruited his program when he was um, the prep school coach, too, and I wish him the best. But, yeah, I mean, we had, put it for example, we had Purdue in December for a lot more money. And then that has to get canceled because of the COVID stuff and, and our, our, our start dates pushed back. Well, now we're playing the hit them in December for a lot less money. The five-game money is next to nothing, you know, which hurts a lot of major programs like us. We had Dayton. We had uh, <clears throat> we had Purdue, so we're going to get a lot of good five-game money, but we can't do that now. Um, so the, the five-game money is shrunk out there. There are a lot of Power Fives right now looking to buy big majors, low majors, but it's for a lot less money, so... Again, it's it's chaotic. It really is. It's it's always been the worst part of the job, but it's really bad right now. And I feel for for a lot of the other guys out there, there aren't. I, I feel like we're our schedule's pretty set. Now that could change, but I feel like we're okay. But again, it's going to be pretty chaotic right up in the time till we play games. So, MVC Commissioner Doug Elgin just announces his retirement. What impact do you think he's had on the league during his tenure? Well, I think you ask anybody that's in NCAA college basketball, uh, been around any of the conferences, they certainly know who Doug Elgin is and they have tremendous respect for him. Uh, what he and his staff have done um, in his tenure has been unbelievable. You know, we say it in our recruiting. I remember hearing Coach Krzyzewski saying the Missouri Valley is the best league in the country where seniors play. You know, maybe we're not getting the one-and-dones or two-and-dones and those types of guys, but the, I was at Iowa for seven years, and the Missouri Valley Conference, the way the professionalism, the way it's run, the uh, venues, the teams, the coaches, the big-time atmospheres, um, the conference tournament is second to none in the country. Um, he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done. I, I consider him a friend. You know, he's been in the league a long time. I've been in the, the league a long time. We're certainly going to hate to lose him, but I'm sure one of those guys will take over. And the Missouri Valley sells itself. It really does. But that, that in part is a large thanks to Doug Elgin. A question we ask all our guests that we have on, uh, we try and get their favorite food place, whether it's in their home city or maybe on the well, road. That's right in my alley. Okay, well, there, there you go. What is your favorite place to eat at in Terre Haute, and what are you going to order at that place? Oh, man, if you do that in town, then, I, then, I'm, then I'm neglecting some of my <laughs> some of my best people. Please. You know, I, 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 I hate to say it, I hate to say just one. Well, you can even give us your best place when you're in town for Arch Madness then. Yeah, that too. How about I give you my best place in Iowa City when I was at the University of Iowa? Does that okay, work? Okay. Yeah, that works. The Wigan Pen Pizza Pub. It's at the bottom of the hill from Carver Hawkeye Arena and, and uh, football stadium and all those things. A uh, dear friend of mine, uh, Dick Quarry, owns it. The best pizza you've ever had, you ever will have. Uh, tremendous food all across the board, and even better people and a better atmosphere. So I'll give you that one, the Wigan Pen Pizza Pub. So this is back-to-back weeks Weeks we've had uh, two pizza recommendations for us. Yep, our kind of guys, and we love pizza here. So what goes... Yeah, where was the other one? Uh... Coach Hamilton told us the, there was a good pizza place in Richmond. I can't quite think, remember the name right now, but he said that he went down there, he'd definitely get us some good pizza, and we'd probably want to go back three or four times throughout the regular season. <laughs> now, again, I don't want to give you just one in Terre Haute because we have so many of them, but if you're uh, ever coming here, I'll, I'll steer you in the right direction. Okay. 
All right, Coach. Well, we really appreciate your time, and best of luck to you this year and uh, the Indiana State Sycamores. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I tell you what, TJ, I know um, you being the big MVC guy, you were really looking forward to the interview with Coach Lansing. Um, myself as the Ohio Valley guy, um, still was very, you know, very interested and looking forward to the interview because he's been in the MVC for quite some time and has, you know, tons of experience, you know, coaching at not only a Power Five level school but also uh, mid major. Right, he's been at Indiana State for eleven years now as head coach, and I think between the two stints, he did eight years at Indiana State. So, you know, he's definitely seen both sides of the coin, uh, but those eight years as an assistant. So, you know, I didn't know that about Bronson Kessinger. I don't know if I had missed that in all the broadcasts that I watched, but he really was one of the guys I just really liked to watch play uh, game in and game out. He's kind of like uh, Chishon Henry at uh, Bradley is definitely more athletic, but still that same kind of, of mold of just the guy that have, was always around a loose ball. Like all of a sudden he – Who's got it? Oh, there, there's Bronson, you know, and just stuff like that. Defend guys. And again, I looked at his stats. And I was kind of surprised they weren't better than they were. And that's no knock against him. It's just that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the role he filled. And it's got to be tough. You know, he's talked about how athletic the kid was and he was an Indiana State All-Star. That, that's the role you fill at a, at a mid-major. We don't – I think sometimes we forget that, that you sit there and you look at those guys and – Probably every one of them was the best player on his team. Oh, sure. And if he was the second best player, they had a heck of a high school team. <laughs> you know, so to take on those different roles, and you know, Coach Les talked about a little bit about guys uh, specializing too early. I remember reading an article where they said that you know these guys that play multiple sports, like well, maybe you're a stud in basketball, but on the baseball team, you're you're not. So you're the guy on the bench, or you're the guy that doesn't get as much time. You learn a different perspective about how to be a team player, you know, what it takes. So when you go to that next level, maybe that's the role you fill, or maybe you're able to get those other guys that aren't getting the minutes time to adapt. And, you know, I, I really think that's an important thing for people to learn. Well, I know, uh, you know, Indiana State lost some seniors from last year, but it seems like Coach Lansing's really looking forward to having, you know, Tobias Harris and Randy Miller Jr., you know, part of the Sycamore squad this year. And, as we had mentioned throughout the interview, both it's not like it's two players coming over, you know, just to kind of, you know, fill up a roster spot. No, right. they have a lot of they have a lot of leadership, and they started, you know, their fair share of games with Townsend and North Carolina Central. May not have been in the MVC, but nonetheless, they were uh, they were called upon quite a bit at their respective uh, schools. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too when he talked about Coach Shesky saying it's the best league where seniors play. And, you know, the Ohio Valley is the same way. I think that's kind of what leads to uh, kind of the a following a love of the, the teams and the guys you get to watch them play for a few years yep. and stuff like that. Now, he may be calling us back if he loses one of these one of these studs next year. You know, you're like, yep, I was doing fine. Those guys at that podcast said, oh, what about trying to recruit guys and then keep them at school? And he's, yep, <laughs> mm -hmm. you guys put the jinx on me. Like, you know, this, this field goal kicker hasn't missed one from this distance in 40 years. <laughs> Shanks it. He's, we're not going to be, we're not going to know any restaurants in Terre Haute. Nope. Like, uh, that pizza place in <laughs> Iowa City, they're going to have our picture on the wall. <laughs> so, Oh, I do want to make one correction. I misspoke. Uh, that's the, the cost of not having the information in front of you. Indiana State will host Wyoming, and they go to St. Louis U. So I had those backwards. So their home games right now, Terre Haute, Ball State, SEMO, and then their uh, road game uh, is at SLU. So. Well, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning, you know, he's saying that the bye games this year you know, are going to be substantially quite a bit lower than what they would have been in previous years. And that kind of just goes off of what, you know, Eastern Illinois athletic director was talking about in that article. You know, it, they may not have the the uh, finances to be in a college basketball bubble because of a bye game going back to college football. Now you're looking at teams, mid-major teams that aren't going to be getting the money that they would in a college basketball game. So, it's it's going to be trial by error right now trying to fit you know certain opponents on your uh, schedule whether it's power five or maybe they just feel if you're not getting enough money it might just be more beneficial to play a mid-major opponent that's more uh uh even keel right right and you got to respect it from the power five perspective oh, that sure. they're losing yeah. they're losing money too you know because the big 10 was thinking they were going to get seven or eight teams in the tournament they don't get that cut and, you know, the football teams are not bringing in as many fans as they would have before. 
So that's definitely cutting into it. And, you know, I'm sure in a year where the economy is kind of in shambles, so to speak, that the donations are down too. you know, those boosters that you hit up that their businesses aren't doing as well. Like, well, I don't, I can't give quite as much to my alma mater now. So it's just amazing, you know, uh, definitely unprecedented times. And I'm, I'm really grown weary of talking about COVID with it. Just every time you turn around, there's something else that's impacting it. So there's just, uh, you know, hope, hopefully our scientists and our leadership can, can find a solution here and, you know, we can say, hey, remember back when? But it just, it's starting to feel like when I win the lotteries, when we find the, it was right up there with when we finally have a, a vaccine for this. Well, I tell you what, TJ, that'll, uh, I mean, that's basically going to wrap it up for this week. You got any final thoughts here? Well, next week we have uh, University of Evansville Hall of Famer and now MVC TV uh, color commentator Marcus Wilson coming on. Uh, looking forward to some great stories, you know, play, played extensively overseas so uh you know and it'll be nice to catch up with a player and you know former larry bird winner and get his perspective on things going and and how he foresees what evansville's gonna need to do this season coming up sure yeah looking forward to that uh my end um little uh little off topic from college basketball but i'll give you my take anyway uh st louis cardinals did get eliminated from postseason play um I have since put a small wager on the San Diego Padres to win the World Series. Uh, I think they have a real exciting lineup. It's just going to depend on their pitching. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is the uh, is the real deal. Some may not like his bat flips. Don't care about that. Dude can play. Yeah, I don't think Cardinal fans can be upset with his bat flip after, was it last year, that Yachty chucked his bat into right field. <laughs> you know, and it was just like like a boomerang that never came never back, came you know. Back. And I think Cardinal fans have just been boohooing the whole time because they said that the Cardinals looked at Tatis yep. eighteen times, just never, and just didn't sign him. Nope. The guy wanted to come to St. Louis. Yep. It's like, eh, uh, we'll pass. <laughs> like, well, you think Bill Dewitt's had some people in his office going, "Hey, what happened here?" <laughs> oh, I'm sure more than once. <laughs> but that'll wrap up episode twenty here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 21. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. And again, a special thanks to Coach Greg Lansing for taking time to join the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.